Um, how many of you were here last week? All right, so you got the, the one punch on finances. Today you get the number two punch on finances. Um, so be forewarned. Uh, you didn't leave during prayer, so that means you wanted to be here for this. Um, but I have to let you know, as I was thinking about this, and I knew of this assignment coming up for a few weeks, um, part of this is going to be um, somewhat testimonial from what I share, because I'm going to share from some of my own experiences and my own struggles. Um, part of it also, um, as I look through this, it's, I'll tell you right away, it's hard for me to separate sacrificing the money from the heart. Because everything that I've ever wrestled through, the heart is so connected to money. And so I know we dealt with heart issue and sacrifice of the heart in week one with Lindsay, but that will come through, I'm just telling you. Um, But my story, you have to realize when I was young, um, growing up, my parents owned two Kentucky Fried Chicken stores, which meant I saw my parents next to never. And then finally, when they sold those stores and they had some money, woo! Then um, I thought, finally, you know, I wasn't going to have the relationship that I had, but I'll have the money. And then um, it took my dad another decade to get going in a career. And all the money that he made from the sale of the, of the stores um, put food on the table. And so you were left with a very bitter and frustrated teenager who felt shafted of relationship and the money. And so uh, we dealt with that as I became a young and adult. But I show you this, this picture of this poster because for the longest time, this was on the wall in my room. Justification for a higher education. Because what I wanted when I took a sabbatical from God for about four years was I wanted this. I wanted what the world had to offer and I wanted what I could make of myself. And so going into college, my initial um, study was, um, in, was to go to be a lawyer because I thought, hey, they make a pretty good dollar an hour, so um, let's give this a whirl. Because why? Because I wanted this. And obviously the uh, 67 GT Shelby Mustang is not in the picture because it can't be, you know, air cannot touch such a prestigious car. But I wanted this. Um, And as you heard me talk about, maybe if you remember a few weeks ago when I was sharing, um, in 1990, when I went in January of 90 to Mexico on my first mission trip, having come back to the Lord, This was the thing that God wrestled with me sitting on a planter box in Mexico. And he said, hey, this cannot happen. I need your heart and I need you to have a different focus. And so we wrestled. Well, he wrestled. He pinned me pretty quick. It was over just like that. And I came home, took this poster down and moved on. And so I share this only because um, what we're about to walk through, I wrestle with. Right? We still have things in life we wrestle with. I don't know what your temptations are. I don't know what your struggles are. But, but this, I, I pray against greed and idolatry. Like, I don't even want the temptation. Um, and so that's just a, a little bit about who I am, right? So you know where I'm coming from. God has done a miracle in my heart with this issue. And uh, I'll share some of that. But as I was praying about this and this idea of sacrifice, which is really where we are as disciples living sacrificially, and now we have two weeks we're talking about money. As I was praying about this, like, God, what would you have me to share? The first story or the first thing from the Bible that came out was this story about David. You see, at one point, David was, he was a conquering king and he was battling and he has all these victories. And one day he decided, which was wrong, I'm going to count my fighting men. 
let me, let me count and see the census of how many fighting men I have because we're kicking some butt. And when he did that, he sinned against God. And God's like, uh, hello, I'm the one doing all the thumping around here, and that's wrong. And so God came to him through one of the prophets, and he said, so look, here's the deal. You're going to pay for this. You have three options. I can send three years of famine. I can send three months of your enemy coming and then getting some payback, or I can have a time with you. And so um, David said, I don't want to fall into the hands of, of man. I would rather fall into the hands of a merciful God. And he said, you're it. And so God sent this plague and started to kill like 70,000 people. And David saw this, and, and, the, and the elders, and they fell on sackcloth. And when, when God was about to start to, to send this plague on Jerusalem, he was just about there on this threshing floor with this angel, and he, and he said, no, stop. And he relented. And that's where we pick up this story. David's here, and he's standing in the, on this threshing floor, and David says to the person who owns it, Aruna, let me have the site of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague of the people may be stopped. Sell it to me at full price. Right? So, so David understood. He realized he had made a mistake. He had sought um, forgiveness wearing ash, um, sackcloth and ashes and the elders, and they were repentant. And God was listening. And so he said, hey, we're here at the threshing floor. Will you sell me the site? so that I can make retribution. And Aruna said to David, Take it. Let my lord the king do whatever, he, whatever pleases him. Look, I will give you the oxen for the burnt offerings, the threshing sledges for the wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give all of this. And in the midst of this, as I think about this, I think here's this gentleman that's willing to make a sacrifice on his own because he saw what was about to come as well. And he was making this sacrificial offer as well. And so I appreciate that about his heart. Or the fear, because he saw what was coming. But David says this. He replied to Aruna, No, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, or sacrifice a burnt author offering that costs me nothing. And as I was praying through this, isn't that the very definition that we started with um, back in week one with Lindsay of what sacrifice is? That in sacrifice, it will cost you something. That's the very nature of a sacrifice is its cost. If it costs you nothing, it's really not too much of a sacrifice. And so here's David, even with that gracious offer of the owner saying, hey, look, we have everything here. It's yours. Take it. I'll sacrifice it and give it an offering to you to take care of this. And David said, no. What kind of sacrifice is that? And so he says this, the sacrifice, I won't make a sacrifice that will cost me nothing. For that really is no sacrifice. And so he goes on and he pays this person 600 shekels of gold for the site. And David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And he called on the Lord and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven and burnt up everything on the altar. 
right? The sacrifice that David was making was accepted to God. And I think God saw the heart of David in this sacrifice. That he was willing to pay out of his own wealth for this spot, which later on would become the place where they build the temple. But here was David willing to sacrifice out of his wealth, out of his own pockets, to take care of what was a situation that he actually even got him in. And I appreciate that leadership about David. But the sacrifice, he said, I I can't make a sacrifice that will cost me nothing. And so I'll pay for it. I will give of the sacrifice and it's acceptable to the Lord. And I wonder about us. I wonder about me. Sometimes am I, am I willing to make a sacrifice that's going to cost me? Or am I tempted to maybe borrow from somebody else that really won't cost me anything? But this idea of sacrifice, sacrificing our lives, sacrificing our money, sacrificing the things that God has given us has a cost and should come from our heart. And I think of that, just generally the idea of sacrifice, maybe a living sacrifice, right? I think about that in, in the world of baseball, right? We have sacrifice bunts, where someone's willing to give up their at-bat for the betterment of the team. Or I think about maybe a soldier who sees a grenade come and he dives and sacrifices his life and his body to fall on the grenade so other people could live. Or I think about the pictures maybe we might have saw on 9-11 of when all those people were trying to stream down the, the, the World Trade Centers. And here you have first responders running up to sacrifice, which would cost them their lives. Because sacrifice at its core will have a cost. And so David makes that clear here. He's like, no, I can't make a sacrifice that costs me nothing. And he didn't accept a discount. He said, I'll buy it at full price. And I don't know if they did like a market analysis and see on Zillow how much it's going for. And that's how he made the deal for this. But he paid full price. And it cost him. See, that's been the heart of 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 the problem of the people of Israel for so long. And we saw this in the last several weeks is them coming and making sacrifices that weren't from the heart. That didn't cost them. And there was an issue with that. And as I was praying about that, then this this story and this situation from Malachi came up. And here it is, the the last book of the the Old Testament. And there's issues with Israel at that time. and, And he's sending the prophet to deal with them on this issue. He says, ever, time, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing God? Or how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse your whole nation, because you are robbing me. See, the situation was, and in chapter 1 they dealt with this, there was an issue with the quality of what they were bringing to offer God and the quantity. Somehow in their heart, and they thought that with the sacrifice, they could bring the blemish. They thought that they could bring the least of these. They thought that they could bring whatever just, hey, let me just grab something and this will be good enough. When they were told, specifically, it's to be your first fruit 
unblemished, and there were specific rules about what they were to bring. Yet their quality and quantity lacked. And it was a heart issue. And they were not willing to sacrifice as God had stipulated. And so here comes the prophet to them and saying, hey, here are the grievances God has against you and against us. And I wonder sometimes, what's the quality of the sacrifice I bring? Is it from the heart? Is it the best? And what about the quantity? And it's a matter of heart. I think not only that, but it's also, I think, a matter of trust and faith. Because I have to be willing to make a sacrifice and let it go. And not worry that I don't have that anymore. And to me, that's a picture of faith. Dependent living on God. That I'm going to make a sacrifice to Him. The reality is, I have to keep in mind, it's His anyways. I'm just a steward. And so how can I be reluctant to take what's already his that he's entrusted to me to give back to him when it was already his? But it's still a sacrifice. Because I have to be willing to either go without or trust him at his word of um, uh, Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And that's either something that just hangs on a wall or it's something that lives in my heart. But it, it can't be just a bumper sticker. He says, but you're robbing me. And the reality was that, that these tithes and offerings that would come in would also, every three years, they would take up the storage and it would go to pay for the Levites who did not have a share in the inheritance. It would go to, to um, help for the orphaned and the widow and the stranger. And it was meant to take care of the welfare of the whole nation. But yet they weren't bringing the full amount. So not only were they shortchanging God, they were shortchanging their brothers as well. And he says, you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not even be enough room to store it. Which again, not only is a heart issue, but in a faith issue, but I think it's a sight issue. Do we have a proper perspective of who God is? Right? A few weeks ago, we talked about our identity and having a sacrifice of who we are. But do we have a proper identity and understanding of who God is in his provision? That he's worth making a sacrifice to, he's worth making a sacrifice for, and he can provide for our needs. But yet time and time again, his people have not understood this. And so he says... Test me. If you don't understand my character, then try and see who I am. And he is faithful. And he goes on to say this through the prophet. I will, pre- I will pre- um, prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before they are ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord God Almighty. Right? He's like, try it and see. 
And not only will he provide for you, but I'll be glorified in the way that I provide for you. And it's meant to, to, to not only be a worship, it's not only meant to be a sacrifice, but it's to bring glory to God. And so when we don't bring what he's called us to bring, then it gives less chance for us to glorify him and for people to see the goodness of God. And so he's calling him out. He's like, try it. Do you not know my character? And then maybe if you've forgotten, then try it out again so you can be reminded that I, the Lord your God, am good. And as I say that, uh, trust me, I'm telling myself this first and foremost, and you're just hearing this conversation to myself. But God says, try it. Try me and see. But bring the full measure into the sacrifice. And then as I was studying this, obviously, there's, there, right, and this isn't a sermon series totally on money, right? But there, there are some things we wrestle through about what was Old Testament, what was New Testament. Certainly this language is blessing and curse that was part of the Mosaic Covenant, which is no longer in, in effect because we have a new covenant. And so as I wrestled through that, I'm like, is there a number? Is there a 10%? Is there a whatever? I'm like, and for some of us, 10% may be generous, 10% may not be doable. And so I wrestled through this. Like in the, in the context of the New Testament, God, what do you call us to do? See, I've already wrestled through this in my life in the last 15, 20 plus years. And here's where I land on it. In a word, it's generosity. As Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians, he says this. And if you want more on this, read chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. But for today, we'll read this. It says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Right? So as we come to make a sacrifice, we're like, how do we do it? That's my cliff note version. This is what I go to. It's Generosity. And then he, he spells some things out here, right? He doesn't want you to give under compulsion, give reluctantly, that you decide, or maybe it's a family, you decide what you give and how you give. But that should be first, and that should be from the heart. Right? And you wrestle through that. And God loves a cheerful giver, right? That it's part of our joy. It's our act of sacrifice. It's an act of worship to come and to bring these things to God. And so Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he, and he spells it out. And, I, and as I was thinking about this and praying through this, um, and I thought about there, there was about a 14-month window from my, my previous church where I was um, practicing retirement, I like to say, before um, Jeff hired me at Inroads. And I had this 14-month window that, um, that we weren't really given a severance when I was laid off, that they did bless us to a, a degree. Um, 
and unemployment really didn't fill in the gaps, and my wife worked even more so to help the family run, but we continued in our giving. We continued where we were going that we would give. And I remember at the end of that year, um, we made a generous donation, as we do, to Young Life. And I know the area director of Silicon Valley Young Life, as we partnered with them and they used our house for high school club and whatnot. And I remember she got, the, she got the check, or she saw it somehow, and she called me. She's like, hey, this is good news. You got a job. I hadn't seen that. I'm like, no, no, I'm still practicing retirement. And she's like, oh, um, well, we got this check from you. I'm like, yeah, you did. Um, do you want me to hold that and not cash that? No, we, I know what we wrote. We, we mailed it. I put the stamp on. I have time in retirement to mail it. She just brought it to the office, right? But, but she was just like, um, doesn't make sense. I'm like, well, I don't know. Does generosity have to make sense? Made sense to us when we wrote the check, and God knows what it was, and now you do too, so I got to go get coffee with somebody. Goodbye, click, right? Or go for a run. But we, we had to depend on God, right? I wasn't fully ready to retire. Money could have helped. But I'm like, no, it's yours, God. And it has a kingdom opportunity, so you take care of it. And I'll tell you this, and I have a hard time of how to say this, and we're running out of time, but um, when, when I did get hired by Inroads, um, and this is a testimony only to God, and I don't believe, and I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel, but when I was hired at Inroads, we had more money in our savings account than when we did when I started my 14-month trial retirement, because God blessed us. And I had a hard time with that. And, and he reminded me the story of Jacob. When Jacob was with his father-in-law, before he was chased off, he diligently and faithfully worked for his father-in-law, who wasn't so faithful. And when he left, he was blessed by God. And God just said, hey, if I want to bless you, what's that to you? You continue to do what I've told you to do, and I will do what I do. And that taught me a valuable lesson. And it reminded me. And then as I was praying again through this week, I came to this scripture that we'll end with, this set of scriptures out of 1 Timothy, that Paul's writing to Timothy in the area of finances and money. Right? He's making sure that he's able to teach accordingly as well. And so he writes this as a caution that, that they, these false teachers that are coming into the, to the mix, have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in, and there's this huge list, envy, strife, a bunch of other things. But their goal is to rob you of the truth and to think that godliness is a means to financial gain. And I will tell you, that is not the heart of godliness. And so Paul's writing to Timothy, hey, watch out, because if anybody is speaking and it sounds remotely like this, they're teaching false. Because godly living and how we live and how we give and how we sacrifice of ourselves and everything we have is for the purpose of God and not for a return on what we're giving. And so he says, beware of these false teachers. You see, because godliness with contentment is great gain. 
That's the secret of living just a godly life, what he's called us to do, to be, to give, and our heart right with him. That is first and foremost. That is what should bring contentment and joy to us and not thinking that if we live according to these ways, we're going to get this blessed, 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 and it's money, money, money. God does love us. God does bless us. But it's not the reason why we seek to live according to his ways and to be godly. It's because he is holy and he's called us to be holy like him. And that should, we should be content with that. Then he goes on to say some warnings. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. They've come to the same situation of wrestling. Do I serve God or do I serve money? And they went with money. And I think of one person named Demas that you see, if you read through the letters in the, in the New Testament from Paul, and he has all these people at the end. At one point, this guy named Demas was a hardcore worker along with Paul. And then because he loved the world, he deserted it, and he went and did whatever he did. But he made his decision, should I serve God or should I serve money? And as Paul's writing to Timothy here, the, the love of money. The love of money, where we have our heart, is a dangerous thing. And if it's not for God first and foremost, then we can be misled. And many griefs. And he says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to hope, to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, right? You see an improper priority of life in the beginning, that their hope is on the created things, which is called idolatry. But our hope is to be on the living God who supplies our needs. And there's a difference between our needs and our wants. And we live in a culture that has no understanding about that. That as we make sacrifices, we have to decide what is a need and what is a want. But yet here is a God who is faithful and provides richly everything we need for our enjoyment. And as I read that, first and foremost is that he gives us himself, which is where our enjoyment has to start from. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, and be willing to share. This is sacrificial living. Right? You're sacrificing everything God has given you, who he's called you to be, everything, our whole life and our pocketbooks for him. Right? We talked about this, Romans 12, uh, chapter, chapter 12, verse 1, right? Therefore, in light of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him, for this is your spiritual act of worship. And as we present ourselves a living sacrifice, our wallets and our checkbooks are in our pockets on that altar as well. And he calls us to be generous. Be willing to share. And I think about it this way. This is what's helped me through. Generosity is an antidote to greed. You want to you find a surefire way to get rid of greed? Start working to become generous. It's hard work. Trust me. But it's huge. And it requires sacrifice. 
giving sacrificially, trusting in the person and the character of God, and then our wants versus our needs. And I know we've had a class called Financial Peace University. I think it's going to be offered again sometime soon. But there are biblical things that we have to put in place so that money doesn't control us. It does what we tell it to do. But it's a matter of the heart. And he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous, willing to share. And this is what sacrifice looks like. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age that they may take hold of a life that is truly life. That we are people who live with a kingdom perspective. And the way that we give and the way we sacrifice and the things that it will cost us have an eternal reward. And that should be our motivation. Not short term for here and now, but long term and it's people. We invest into the lives of people. We give for the care of people. And we give as a worship to God. And that, to me, is how sacrifice happens. Starting in the heart with the right perspective of who he is, on purpose with a kingdom perspective, and a willingness to just give it away. In our culture, this is counterculture. And this is a struggle for many of us. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for these words. They're a, they're a vivid and stark reminder to me. And they remain a challenge, God, that I would continue to submit myself to you and be a good steward. Because someday we'll settle up accounts. And I want to hear good work, good and faithful servant. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts with this scripture this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the band's getting ready here, we're going to change courses for a time of corporate prayer. And as you heard Brett talking about, right, we have our brother Ray that we can be praying for who had this scare. I'm sure it's not the way you want to end a 10 or 14 day cruise to Alaska in sickbay and then go from there to Kaiser San Francisco is probably not what they had in mind, right? And our, our dear friend and servant Paul who who just serves like nobody's business. So we'll make sure we pray for them. But as we do, I'll open up in prayer and you pray as you feel led and then I'll close this um, at the end there. Father, thank you that you, um, you can provide for all of our needs, for our health, finances, whatever it is. And we do lift up our brother Ray and our brother Paul to you. And you